You're listening to Beyond the Ribbon, a podcast of the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center. This podcast is brought to you by Kia of Amarillo, proud member of the Auto Inc. family of dealerships. Be sure to check out their website at kiaofamarillo.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey, Ryan. How are you today? Pam, I'm great. Good. You know, it's um, September. It is. And what happens in September? My birthday. Your birthday. Yes. The most important day of the year, right? <laughs> well, besides I'm... your birthday, can't in the cancer world. Oh, in the what, cancer world. What do? You, what is September known for? It is Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Yes. Also, childhood um, cancer. Childhood awareness. cancer awareness. There's as well. a lot of awareness to remember. There but is. We're going to focus on prostate. Yes, we are. We are. Yeah, and we have a lot of exciting things coming up, um, exciting for our listeners and mm-hmm. those that may not be survivors, but, you know, we want to make sure we get our screening. So, yeah, yeah, we do. We have a lot of things. Um, one of the ones that, that we're a part of is um, we have some wonderful partners here in this community that help us throughout the year, whether it's with 24 Hours in the Canyon or Good Nights Grind, our bicycle events, mm-hmm. or here at the center. Right. And um, this event that we're going to be partnering together with those is uh, Pints for Prostates, Pam. Sounds something like men would like to attend. <laughs> I got everybody, I got every male's attention that li- that's listening right now. Pints. pints. Like, does that mean pints of blood? No, or? no, 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 no. Much lighter color than, okay. than blood. Um, yeah, so pints for prostates. Uh, it's going to be Thursday, uh, September 21st uh, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. over at Pondacetta. Uh, Pondacetta Brewing over off of 45th, uh, kind of 45th and Coulter, in between Coulter and Sauncy. It's over there by uh, Walmart over there, um, the First Bank Southwest building there on 45th um, from 5 to 8. Now, here's the deal, Pam. Guys who show up mm-hmm. have a blood draw, PSA test, right? Not a pint no, of blood. No, it's not a pint of blood. So a little bitty vial of blood. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've talked before, there's two ways really in checking for prostate cancer, right? Right. Um, we're going the less invasive way, right? even though it's still a little invasive because we're taking, they, not, I say we, I am not. They are taking a little bit of blood and uh, we'll test that blood for the prostate specific antigen. It's a PSA test, right, Pam? Yes. And that tells whether or not it's high, low, right in a, in a range um, and can be a test for prostate cancer. Now, any guy, 45 and older, who shows up and has that test done, we're going to buy him a beer. Hey, can't beat a deal like that. No. So, you know, here's the thing. Guys are hard-headed. I'm speaking for myself. So I, we're taking a little bit of time here on the front end of today's episode to say, ladies, get your guys to come and get their PSA test. Now, they can get it done at their regular doctor's visit, their regular office. If they've done that, great. They don't need to necessarily come. But if it's been a year... Or longer. Maybe they just want a pint of beer. Or maybe they just want a pint of beer. Uh, it's time to get it checked. Yes. It should be done. It should be checked annually. You talk about screenings, Pam. Uh, women should be doing uh, their mammograms annually. Mm-hmm. Men should be getting their prostates checked annually. Yes. And so, October's coming up. And so we'll hear lots about breast lots cancer. Lots about breast cancer. We will. But but not before Prostate Cancer no. Awareness Month is over. So definitely want to focus on that. Um, and then that kind of also leads us to today's guest. That's right. You know, sometimes um, cancer is a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And we have, uh, our survivors have side effects that, you know, 
Maybe they just want to ignore. And one of the things is maybe urinary incontinence mm-hmm. for men mm-hmm. who have prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but doesn't mean it doesn't apply to women either. That's right. So, ladies, don't don't turn off. Don't turn off the episode. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about prostate cancer, and then we're going to talk about uh, incontinence and pelvic floor dysfunction in general. But why we're spending a little bit more time on prostate, aside from it being September, is mm-hmm. because we here at the Survivorship Center um, have a prostate cancer survivor program. Yes. Um, and we're so excited about that because prostate tends to be uh, one of our top three uh, cancers in our region. Um, and there's a lot of prostate cancer that gets diagnosed here. Absolutely. A no. lot. And sometimes men don't want to come for help. So maybe if they know there's this program that's dedicated to them, that's right. it's easier to come and talk yeah. to us. Yeah. We have the right people um, to talk about the right things for those people. That's right. That's right. So, you know, the, the neat thing about it, too, is is that, you know, we're spending a little bit of time um, talking about that here. And then the very next episode you're going to be hearing is another piece and part of our prostate cancer survivor program. I'm not going to tell you what it is. To stay tuned. To stay tuned, okay? But here's what's most important about this is um, you don't even really have to come into the Survivorship Center to receive help when it comes to urinary incontinence or pelvic floor dysfunction. We always like to say that we want to find the experts, and we are not the experts in this area, no. but we have found them. We have, and we have one today yes. uh, that we're working with. So I love how this is all leading to, to this <laughs> moment, you know, like drum roll, please, you know, um, and this is someone that we've had on our podcast before, but it's really neat to have uh, Alita Petrie back. Alita, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back. It's Good. Nice to be back in the studio with you. We are so excited because, um, you know, I know that pelvic floor dysfunction is near and dear to your heart and, and one of your specialties there at Optimal Physical Therapy. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that um, we have heard quite a bit about um, from our prostate cancer nurse navigator, Alan Harris, mm-hmm. and talks about, you know, the, one of the biggest issues is leakage and one of the biggest issues is incontinence post-prostate mm-hmm. uh, treatment. So thank you for joining us today, but more, more importantly, thank you for coming on this journey with us or allowing us to partner with you and say, we can be the conduit to help and, 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 um, get guys who maybe are a little less likely to seek help. Right. Well, thank you. You know, it really takes a team. It takes eradicating the cancer, whatever method that involves. And then of course, treating those residual symptoms like urinary incontinence, erectile dysfunction, all those things that we know will happen after, you know, maybe a radical prostatectomy. So it's important for people to know life doesn't have to end once the cancer is gone. There's still a lot we can do for that. And, and so much of that is built around quality of life. Absolutely. I mean, duh, that's the most important thing, right? People are going, yeah, whatever. I, yeah, of course. But that's the thing, right? Like you just said, life doesn't have to end. Um, they shouldn't have to stay at home and skip, you know, the grandchildren's softball game or soccer game or whatever game, tennis match, Pam, whatever they've got, choir concert, because they can't, uh, they don't want to be embarrassed. Exactly. Exactly. So, Alita, let let our listeners know a, a little bit about you and what you do and where they can find you. Okay. Well, I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. I graduated from Texas Tech Physical Therapy 20 years ago, so in 2003. Um, 
almost 13 years ago now, I opened my own practice, Optimal Physical Therapy, and we treat both the orthopedic as well as pelvic floor population, some neurological conditions. So we do have a wide variety in that practice. Early on, even prior to my graduation um, from Texas Tech, I became interested in pelvic floor rehab and started that specialization process even in um, in PT school, and established pelvic floor rehab here in Amarillo and really the Texas Panhandle um, from my first job back in 2003, and continued that pelvic floor program at Optimal. And fortunately, it's grown. There are now um, five of us full-time um, at Optimal who treat pelvic floor dysfunctions. And we do have two locations in the, um, on South Bell in the southwest area of Amarillo and a second location in the I-40 Georgia area in Wellington Office Park. So one thing she said, Pam, that caught me, and I just want to point it out to our listeners, because maybe they just totally missed this. There's five Alitas. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Now, what that means to me is if you're listening and thinking, oh, well, I mean, it's just me. It's, I mean, it's not that big a deal. It's just something I got to do. Okay. No, no, no. There are five people who specialize in helping you. And honestly, right. we still need like three more. And that's how busy it is. How many people do have pelvic floor dysfunctions? Because it, you know, it's a, it's a common misconception that only women deal with pelvic floor changes. And again, common misconception. We see men, women, and children. And sure. there are times that honestly, males are seventy five percent of my caseload. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how common it is for men. And, you know, even if they haven't had maybe a prostate surgery or anything, you know, there can be muscle changes or muscles. They have muscles just like anybody else. Right. So that, that's a key point to make is that it is incredibly common. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So for our listeners, just explain what is pelvic floor. Yeah, that was going to be my, you, right. you beat me to it and we were on the same wavelength, Pam. <laughs> right. Um, so the pelvic floor, a pelvic floor dysfunction essentially signals a a change in ability of those pelvic floor muscles to function. Um, essentially those muscles that are commonly known as the Kegel muscles. So the muscles people associate with tightening to keep from going to the restroom. And most people think about that with respect to um, preventing urination, but they also control sexual function as well as bowel function. So they help us eliminate when we should, help us urinate, have a bowel movement when we should, um, help with the normal responses to arousal and climax. And then they also help us... um, essentially hold the content in. So maintain continence to not urinate or soil ourselves, you know, hopefully when we're out in public and things like that. So when we see a change in those muscles, um, we can see a whole host of symptoms. For some people, it's more retention and ability to use the restroom. For some people, it is incontinence. So um, urinating or having a bowel movement outside of the time that they wanted to. And for some, it's even a combination of all those things as well as sexual changes. And those muscles... Another common misconception, essentially, is that those muscles become weak, and that's the only change that happens. But just like we can work at a computer too long and our neck and shoulder muscles kind of get tight, those muscles can spasm. Mm. And when they are tightened and in a spasmed state, their function changes, and unfortunately that can affect their strength and abilities to contract and rest the way we need them to. And one thing more unique to the pelvic floor muscles versus other muscles outside of a neurological condition is that these muscles can get stuck in a contracted state and they have to be able to fully rest and fully contract to cue the organs the way they need to. So a lot of people think that the main way we maintain continence is the mechanical closure. So when we tighten those muscles, they shorten, close, and pinch off those openings. And that is a part of how we do that. But every time they reach a completely rested state, 
they send a message to the spinal cord back to the organs, telling those organs to squeeze and empty. And anytime they contract, initiate a contraction from that rested state, they tell those organs to relax and fill. So if we see a change in their function, they can't fully contract, can't fully rest. We see a breakdown in that message system. So it's almost like an email that we type but gets lost in the ethers. We never see it again. Mm -hmm. So the muscles may be trying to do something, but they're not able to produce that message. And so that skews that organ function. In addition to not being able to provide that mechanical closure. So what is a common problem for cancer survivors? What is causes this dysfunction? So honestly, I don't think there's ever one specific cause for the most part. You know, this is a muscle group, you know, growing up in like health classes and stuff, we really kind of gloss over pelvic health mm-hmm. and we really do the bare minimum. And so it's a muscle that in general, society is pretty out of touch with. Once we potty train people, it's kind of like, you know, good luck to you. (laughs) Hope it all goes well from here on out. But even as we're potty training, the awareness of how we teach our little kiddos, you know, to hold it, to reach the toilet is just, you know, we say, hold it. We don't say, Hey, you feel those muscles, tighten those muscles. Hey, you feel those muscles, rest those muscles. Um, so really our awareness of those muscles is vastly limited. And that alone sets the stage for the high incidence of pelvic floor dysfunctions. And along the way in life, we accrue more risk factors. So whether that's a surgical procedure, maybe some hormonal treatments, and those, and even chemotherapy, there have been studies that looked at how chemotherapy and of course, radiation can affect muscle cells. So we can see how certain treatments that need to be done, they are absolutely necessary, can have those side effects of poorly affecting the muscles. So for our prostate patients, is it a guarantee that they're going to have pelvic floor dysfunction? Yes. I think one caveat to that that's important to note is not that, you know, the treatments of the prostate necessarily are the main factor creating a pelvic floor dysfunction. Most likely there's already one present, Mm -hmm. and that's just another layer or another stack in the pancakes. Wow. So there have been some studies that have looked at doing what we call prehab. And I've even seen this clinically with a couple of patients in particular. But there have been some studies that have looked at doing prehab where when we know someone is about to have a certain procedure, we do physical therapy prior. And that's very commonplace for someone with, you know, who, who needs to have a total knee replacement. We do prehab to improve their outcome, even though they have to do therapy after, but to improve their outcome and function after that surgery. And for like men who undergo prostatectomies, when we do prehab, so we rehab those pelvic floor muscles prior, we're actually seeing a lower incidence of incontinence and erectile dysfunction after. And we still have to do provide pelvic floor physical therapy after. But in advance, we're able to restore normal muscle function. We're able to eliminate or at least reduce, depending on the time we have, those muscle spasms. And if there is a strength deficit, we can address that as well. Would it be the same thing for maybe uh, a female who is going to have, you know, a GYN yes. uh, uh, cancer surgery removal? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, sometimes those symptoms, understandably, if they've had pain that's led to the diagnosis of cancer, sometimes those symptoms really blend with symptoms that are also caused by the pelvic floor muscles. So we can have more than one thing going on. And then after those surgical procedures, say, you know, for cervical cancer and the the uterus and the cervix are removed, surgery is a trauma. Even if it's done for all the right reasons and it's necessary, it is still a trauma. Sure. 
And so we have to help that tissue after. And we even see this, see pelvic floor dysfunctions in women after they've had breast cancer. So speaking of, you know, October coming up, um, a lot of times because of the chemotherapy involved and Mm -hmm. even some of the hormonal treatments involved in that, that changes the muscles. And again, most likely there's already an underlying pelvic floor dysfunction. And then that is just one more domino that tips over to create symptoms. And, you know, most people, that's something we, conversations me and my team have with our patients every day, people accept symptoms as normal. Oh, I've had X number of kids or, oh, I'm 70. I should experience this. No, you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, we should not reach an age or should have had a certain number of kids that makes having urinary incontinence okay or pain with sex or changes in sexual function okay. Those are all indications of a pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. So is it common after a surgery or before a surgery, you know, what I think about total knee replacements, you're guaranteed to go to physical therapy, right? Is it common for physicians that, you know, patients that have prostate or GYNs, is this something, a common practice or is it something that survivors need to ask their doctors about? I would say ask your doctors, um, it's quite common, but I also am not sure it happens as often as we would like, sure. to be honest. And sure. and to be fair too, some providers will send patients, but they don't they don't understand the benefit and they're not really sure why they're going to it. And I worked with gentlemen who maybe were referred after having their prostate out and didn't come thinking, well, this is just how it's gonna be. But then six, nine months later, the doctor would re-refer them, and then they'd come in and say, well, I just didn't think there was anything that could be done about this, and there's so much we can do. And years ago, I talked to one of the physicians in town about doing prehab, and he'd even said, Alita, I'll send them, but I, I don't think they're going to come. They, 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 they're, they're really trying to understand and process so much information, mm-hmm. and they don't realize the symptoms that they're going to face afterwards. And he was right. There were some that he sent that did not come until about six, nine months after surgery. So is there a perfect timing to come to rehab after surgery? After surgery, about eight weeks. Um, ideally, I'd like to start seeing people sooner, you know, even two, three weeks sure. post-op. You know, there's things that we don't do for a while because we want to allow that tissue to heal. But there's plenty we still can do. And the sooner we can head off some of those symptoms and correct some of those muscular changes and even promote tissue healing, um, the better off they're going to be sooner. So let's say, uh, for instance, let's say I am a five-year survivor okay. or what? insert whatever year, mm-hmm. okay? Um, can I make a self-referral? Absolutely. If I'm, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm going, that's me or that's my wife or that's my husband, you know, whoever this, right. whoever is saying that, can they say, hey, I've got this. I need to come see you. Yeah, so for – you know, for the length of time after a surgery for PT to be effective, there's really no, you know, there's an ideal time, like everything else. We want to see people sooner, the sooner the better, but we can still provide benefit and make those changes no matter how long after a prostate surgery or whatever it's been. Now, the state laws in Texas say that we can see a patient with what we call direct access for 10 days without a physician's referral. Most states in the U.S. do not require that at all. Texas is one of like three that still does. Um, So ultimately, 
you would still have to have that referral. So if you've got a urologist in your back pocket, we can always make that contact, send that note over. I mean, Optimal, we really work with mm-hmm. the urologists in town quite well, and, and I've worked with them for 20 years now. So yep. um, we've got really good relationships, and really everybody just wants to see people improve. Sure. And so, you know, we have a good team, and we all work in the sandbox really well together. We can facilitate that. So absolutely, if you're listening to this and you think, hey, I at least want to go in and see what this is about, maybe maybe get evaluated and see if my pelvic floor muscles are even involved, by all means, let's do that. And then we can deal with a, you know, 10 day mm-hmm. time frame and beyond, you know, once you're in the clinic, but at least have more information coming into it. Cause if we don't find anything, if there's nothing with the pelvis and pelvic floor muscles, obviously we're not going to continue PT, mm-hmm. but it gives you, you're armed with more information to yeah. know, you know, what's going on and what you can do about it. Absolutely. You know, I, I remember when, when you came on to our podcast uh, in the early years, Pam, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> early on, um, we talked about, you know, everybody has heard, as you mentioned, the word Kegels. Do your right. Kegels. Do your Kegels. Um, so I'd like to tell everybody, you know, what that is. But then I want to talk about, because I remember being surprised and like, wow, I had no idea that um, it's not just, you know, sitting there and do, give me 200 Kegels, you know, kind of like, you, right. you know, give me 50 pushups. <laughs> right. um, you have other tools and you have things to, to determine the strength of your, your muscles. So let's talk about that if we can, about what is a Kegel. And then let's talk about the, the other unique tools you have. Right. So a Kegel essentially is a contraction of those pelvic floor muscles. And there are over 20 muscles that make up the pelvic floor muscle group. A lot of people who are who do have some awareness of the muscles think it's just one sling of a muscle that goes from the pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back. And again, there are over 20 muscles. And some actually work well, some not so much sometimes. And so a true Kegel is a complete contraction of all those muscles, followed by a complete resting state. So essentially, whenever we tighten those muscles, we should feel that squeeze and closure in women around the urethral, vaginal, and anal areas, kind of feeling that, you know, tailbone curling in towards the pubic bone. And in men, they can feel that contraction at the base of the penis, right above the scrotum around the anus, and also still feel that tailbone kind of come inward and point towards that pubic bone in the front. And so that's essentially what that contraction is. Now, these muscles should contract to varying degrees of strength throughout the day every day. It's a very busy muscle. So we tend to think of it as a group that just contracts to keep us from wetting ourselves. But it's the only group of muscles that works against gravity in the trunk to help keep us balanced and stabilized. So even as we're here talking, we kind of nod our heads as we you know, continue our discussion. Our pelvic floor muscles should contract to make sure that we can nod our heads without taking a nosedive. So as we reach for a pen or our water bottles, our pelvic floor muscles contract to keep the trunk steady even with that movement. So it's a very busy group of muscles helping to support and stabilize the trunk in addition to controlling those organs. And so kegels are great, but sometimes kegels are actually detrimental if we have a muscle that's not functioning properly because we can't strengthen a muscle or improve it if it's not functioning properly. And that kind of gets into some of the other tools that we use. So the very first day, we look at a patient's posture and the position and movement patterns of those bones and joints. And then when we assess those pelvic floor muscles directly, checking for any abnormal tension, so a spasm, any discomfort to pressure applied, and the patient's ability to contract and rest those muscles. 
And if they can fully contract and rest, then we are able to measure their strength and the endurance of that strength. But if they can't contract and rest, so the muscle's not functioning properly, we can actually manually help guide them into recognizing better control or even hook up EMG. And so a lot of people have had surgeries or they've had something done where they've been hooked up to EKG, which measures heart activity. EMG measures muscle activity. So we can actually get that measurement of how overactive or even underactive a muscle is. And that puts it on a screen so we can guide the patient into better connecting with the muscles so that when they walk out of there with their muscles, of course, they're able to rest when they should and contract when they should. And when, once that function is restored, then we can do kegels and strengthen and, and teach patients when to contract those muscles because there are times that the pelvic floor needs to, con- to contract on its own during the day. And then there are times that it needs to team up with other muscles. So we strengthen those and help you know, restore that ability to coordinate. Is there exercises that you can do besides Kegels that can strengthen those muscles? So Kegels really are the most direct way to strengthen those muscles in isolation. Um, There are other exercises that we teach our patients as well, you know, combining abdominal muscles. So what a lot of people think of as core will make sure they're properly engaging their abdominal muscles because a lot of people think they're contracting their muscles and really aren't, um, but they may feel pressure. Um, so we'll you know, teach exercises that help coordinate abdominals and pelvic floor, buttock muscles, spinal muscles, sometimes even you know do some lower extremity or leg strengthening as well. So there's a whole host of things. And then one thing that's key is once we've developed that ability to contract and rest those muscles and use them and have the awareness, we just need to add them into everyday activities. So for patients who maybe already work out, we'll teach them, okay, this is how you need to use those muscles when you're working out. So we can incorporate that into activities they're already doing versus long-term asking them to carve out additional time. So like yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong, are those beneficial to our patients? Those are definitely beneficial. Um, Also provided that the pelvic floor muscles are functioning. So Mm -hmm. that's always the key thing. We've got to make sure those muscles are functioning. They're healthy. They've got the strength and endurance to accommodate those activities. And then those are phenomenal activities to continue with incorporating that pelvic floor muscle control. Yeah. Pilates, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. The body is such a cool thing. It really is. I mean, it just, I'm just sitting here thinking, wow. I mean, 20, would you say more than 20? More than 20 muscles just in the pelvic floor. I had no idea. Don't you feel like you need to sit I did. Did you notice? I I kind of. Our posture. Everybody, yeah. up a little strain. You mentioned that. I may or may not have done a kegel while we were talking. Yeah. I mean, you just. Check-ins are never a bad thing. (laughs) Just being real. It's. It's, it's yeah because it's like okay i know yeah oh yeah wow i had no idea there were tw- more than 20 muscles a part of the the pelvic floor right for both men and women which is no surprise right when you have more muscles or you have more something that something potentially could go haywire right. goodness wow is there anything else that can affect the pelvic floor A lot of things. Are you thinking like, something specific? No, like for our cancer survivors specifically. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that they can do differently once diagnosed? I would say the only thing they can do differently would be to see a pelvic floor PT sooner or as soon as possible. Um, because really the treatments are what they are and they're, they're necessary. And so let us kind of handle 
and guide through any effects of those treatments. And, and honestly, again, we're probably uncovering a pelvic floor dysfunction that was already there. Um, so anything we can do to try to mitigate some of that from the get-go is ideal. But I would say don't don't accept certain symptoms. You know, even if we just check it out and say, hey, you know, it's actually all good. Great. But maybe we follow up six months later and just sure. kind of stay kind of on each other's radar just to make sure we handle anything should it arise. Yeah. There's no reason, Pam. I know you talk about this with survivors a lot, uh, whether it's mental health, whether it's dietary health, whether, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's no reason to suffer through just because, well, this is a side. They told me this might be a side effect. I also right. feel like, you know, um, Survivors are very quiet about some of their symptoms because their life was saved, but Mm -hmm. the quality of life is important too. So reach out to these resources that we have. It's so important. Well, and that's the whole reason we have these resources. That's the whole reason we started this prostate survivorship program is quality of life. Right. You know, prostate for the most part is incredibly treatable and with great outcomes for the most part again. Mm -hmm. However, you do tend to have a few quality of life issues. Absolutely. And I've had cancer survivors tell me that when they've come in for therapy, say, well, I hate to complain because gosh, you know, I had cancer, I beat cancer. I hate to complain. Like you're not complaining. You're, you're raising alarm over a very valid symptom. And yes, you've survived cancer. Live it up. Like, you deserve come this. on, you let's, deserve, let's take care of this. You so deserve a good quality You've got a whole new lease on life now. Let's, yes. let's take care of this. So don't, don't downplay anything you're experiencing. Don't accept it. Just continue to seek care and find the right people to help. And sometimes, how many times, uh, go ahead, Pam. Sometimes whenever I think of physical therapy, I think of, oh, it's going to be painful. Right. <laughs> Right. So for our listeners, it, <laughs> it, it is pelvic You've never floor. heard that before, have you? Never at all. Now the whole like pain and torture is what PT stands for. Yeah, never heard of that. What? <laughs> How painful on a scale of zero to 10 um, is pelvic floor rehab? So it needn't be painful, um, at least not to a high degree. Now, if somebody has spasms, in those muscles. And we have to work to release those. It's no different than, you know, having a massage on a muscle that's tight, but it's not, it's not that we put an amount of pressure to provoke pain. In fact, when I'm working with somebody who has spasms, I'll apply pressure and I'll say, okay, that may be tender, but it needs to be tolerable. If it's too, too tender, people will guard and we go nowhere. So that's where the pain really should, you know, on that zero to 10 scale, we really shouldn't have to provoke more than a two to three or less on the pain scale if we even provoke that. So really there's no reason for pelvic floor rehab to be painful. I know that is a common association, especially like for total knees and, you know, trying to get that range of motion back. It can be uncomfortable on that, that tissue, but really pelvic floor rehab does not need to be painful. And that constant communication is key to make sure that we're keeping that pain. You know, if there, if we are having to work on spasms, keeping that pain out at a lower level. And really that's the only time it's painful is if there are spasms present. Cause as we work to restore normal function, that's not a painful process. As we strengthen, that's not a painful process either. So the only time it can be slightly painful is with the presence of spasms. And, you know, I, even yesterday I was working on someone's spasms and I said, is that tender, but tolerable? And she said, yes, it's tolerable. As I saw her kind of squint with one eye and I said, okay, I'm going to back off. (laughs) (laughs) Your body language. You don't need to bite a sock. (laughs) Your your body language is telling me different. Exactly. And we all, you know, have to watch that with people to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing. Because again, it's not one of those no pain, no gain things. Really most of PT isn't, but pelvic floor rehab, especially is not a no pain, no gain philosophy. And what's the time frame? 
that most people have to come for rehab? You know, that varies depending on what they, all the changes um, in the muscles that they come in with to start with. Um, you know, if they purely have weakness, which is a rare day, I say maybe 5% of my patients come in purely with weakness and we can go ahead and start on strengthening. There's a whole host of things we, you know, we're not having to cover and correct in PT. And so frequency of treatment is a little different because of course, one key thing is doing the home exercise program. So that carryover at home. And so we'll teach patients exercises and maybe even how to progress certain things independently so that they come in two, three, four weeks later we reassess where they are and take that next step. So the duration and therapy can be months or even close to a year, depending on what all is going on, but the frequency is different. So a lot of people think, oh, I injured my knee years ago and I had to go to PT two, three times a week for eight weeks. And for pelvic floor rehab, it may be that we're you know spreading 15, 18 visits out over 12 months. So the frequency is very different. The duration is longer because we are making those more sustainable changes. Um, and then too, if they come in and they have you know poorly functioning muscles, spasmed muscles, and we have to do all that, that's going to increase or lengthen that duration of care. Wow. You know, it goes back to kind of patients being their own best advocate mm-hmm. and and seeing, just listening to this of if, if it wasn't brought up at my doctor's visit or it wasn't talked about, or maybe it was kind of like brushed over like, yeah, and this might happen and da, 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 and it's time to be your, your own advocate. And then when you go see Alita and you need to advocate for yourself to do your work at home, right. <laughs> do your Absolutely. own work. It's not like you can just wave a magic wand or take a pill and it's going to fix this. Correct. Correct. Gonna, it does I'm hearing it's going to take some work. It takes work. It takes patience because nothing ever clears up in the time frame we all want it to. Never. Um, PT and patient included, honestly. But it does take that follow through at home. It does take patience. It takes diligence. And I think most people, once they start to see some change and changes don't occur. It's not like flipping a, a light switch where they're here one day and gone the next. There's usually a slow, steady change. So some symptoms begin to improve and that then provides some motivation to continue doing what we're doing. Sure. So is there anything else that you would like to tell our listeners about pelvic floor rehab? I think that, you know, a lot of people build it up to be something it's not, and they come in with a lot of fear. And I've seen this time and again in the last 20 years. They come in very nervous and, oh, what's this going to be like? And for women, they think, oh, this is going to be a lot like my pelvic exam. You know, I'm going to feel very exposed and vulnerable. And what we do and how we go about it is far less vulnerable. There's still vulnerability, but our patients are actually covered the entire time. So even though we're, we're checking muscles vaginally and rectally, we're still able to keep the sheet over them and there are no stirrups involved. So all these things, these comfort measures that we're able to take in pelvic floor physical therapy that um, a lot of people don't anticipate. And so many patients through the years have told me and and people on my team as well that, well, this is nothing like I expected, or I was really worked up about this. And this was so much more comfortable than I thought. Um, You know, our goal is always to get to the bottom of the issue um, no pun intended, but um, <laughs> but that way we know what we're dealing with and and know what we need to do to correct it. And you know, our goal is always to make patients feel comfortable, and that's something we hear time and again too from our patients. I'm like, I just feel so at ease with you, and we have fun. You know, we'll just we'll joke around, but we we have a very passionate team. So yeah, and I I appreciate what you just said because I know if I have this built up fear and thought of Oh, 
I got to go do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and most often, right. And that's human nature. Most often you come out of whatever that scenario goes, oh, I wasn't that bad, no matter what it is. Right. And so that's a perfect example of, of what you just said. And I'm glad you said that because I hope it puts some of our listeners at ease. And if it's maybe your husband, you can put his fear at ease that, you know, you're listening to this and your husband has some issues that needs to be corrected. Put his mind at ease. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Ryan, let's talk about our prostate program. What all um, do we have available for our men yeah. out there? So, you know, in, in talking and in, in when we visited with Alita and, and, and talking with the urologist here locally, um, identified some of the main, most common side effects post prostate cancer. Um, and it doesn't matter, as, as Alita alluded to, whether it's radiation or surgery. Mm-hmm. Some of these are very similar across the board. Um, but, of course, pelvic floor dysfunction, as we just talked about. We also have a, um, a sex therapist that we're working with who um, is not local. Um, it's done virtually. And so um, able to provide sessions uh, with our, our uh, licensed marriage and family counselor who also has a specialization in helping men uh, post prostate cancer. Um, it's not what you're thinking. Um, it, it does not involve, uh, um, negative things. It is simply another way of trying to help accommodate and alleviate symptoms and, and give ways around those. And so, um, you know, those are the two most common sexual dysfunction and pelvic floor dysfunction. We also have our counselors, you know, uh, one of the things that the guys brought up over at Emerald Urology was, um, golly, you know, um, mental health around prostate cancer is really becoming a big deal. And it's becoming a big deal everywhere. But talking about some of the problems um, that pop up post-prostate uh, post, uh, cancer or during prostate cancer treatment, um, they're hard to deal with sometimes. And so uh, we have our licensed, um, um, phys- uh, almost said licensed physical therapist. <laughs> we have our licensed professional counselors uh, that we work with. We actually have four that we work with that we can provide um, counseling with. And again, that can be done virtually. Um, so there's a trend here, right, Pam, right. convenience and ease. If you're working and you're busy and gosh, that's just a barrier. I can't do it. Now, elite is different. Elite can't do stuff virtually, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's different. That's totally different. But, but me, meeting with our, our, you know, talk about sexual dysfunction or meeting with one of our counselors can, uh, are done virtually, can be done virtually. Yes, and there's one other thing that we need to talk about. And we also have dietary. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of times cancer, uh, people think, right, you're, you're having, you've got cancer, you're just naturally going to lose weight uh, because the chemo's bad or the side effects are bad, and that's not always the case. Right. Um, and so sometimes there's some dietary issues that need to be dealt with, and so we have uh, a registered dietitian that we work with um, that we have um, available to guys as well. And, oh, yeah, that can be done virtually too. So We have one more program that can be done virtually. Putting you on the spot. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, the memory? Uh, yeah. Hmm. I almost <laughs> forgot. So, you know, the neat thing about that, and <laughs> yes, that was planned, Pam. Um, what we have is um, what is – historically been called chemo brain, but it's also now really called treatment induced cognitive decline or something along those lines, however you want to phrase it, but it's basically a cognitive dysfunction uh, that's caused by cancer treatment. It's not just a chemo. Uh, It's not 
radiation. It, it can just be the diagnosis of cancer. Yes. And I tell you, Pam, you know, um, you, you have surgery, you have anesthesia, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know that um, anesthesia does some weird things. And sometimes that causes a cognitive decline. Um, typically, too, we're all suffering from a cognitive decline as we age. Um, and so you take that comp- encompassed with treatment you're, you're kind of getting the double whammy. And so, uh, we have what we call, um, mat training. It's memory and attention adaptation training, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it can be done virtually or in person. It can be done in a group setting or it can be done individually. And it's an up to eight week program. Um, that's a one time a week with a little bit of homework in between. Um, that is revolutionary. Um, I remember, um, when we did our podcast with Dr. Ferguson and I would encourage you if you have questions about that to go back and listen to, um, one of our earlier podcasts, uh, this year or late last year, I can't remember exactly when, uh, but it, it was on mat training and, um, gosh, it was one of those things that was just like bells and whistles and lights were going off in my head while we were talking about this. We have to do this. Uh, it's been clinically, clinically trialed. It was done, um, at the university of Pittsburgh and um, showed remarkable results. Now, we've been doing mat training here now for quite some time. Um, since Beginning of the year? Yeah, and I, and I don't know the exact number of people we've had go through it, but it's been a, a large number. And um, we're actually going to be, uh, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, we're actually going to be doing a podcast probably uh, in November that will be talking with our uh, facilitators and just getting some feedback and getting kind of an update on how good Matt training is for the, the clients that they've worked with. So um, that's the last piece. Now, even though we're talking about that being a part of our prostate survivorship program, that's for every survivor, right? no matter what type of cancer you have. And, um, you know, you ask Alita, when is the right time to come and do physical therapy for um, pelvic floor dysfunction? Um, the same thing as occurs here. When is the right time? Well, the right time is when you have cancer. Doesn't matter. If you, a week ago you were diagnosed, two years ago you finished treatment, or you're right in the middle of treatment, now's a good time. And there is no, there is no like optimal, ideal, like how I said, you, mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah, thanks for the <laughs> <laughs> there's no perfect time. It's now, no matter what time that looks like for you. These are side effects that, you know, there is help out there. Yes. Um, we have a lot of things, including our yes. monthly calendar. And um, we talked about yoga and Tai Chi. We have those here at the center right. and everything that we offer here is free. hundred percent free. It's, it, you know, you're, you, you can't, and this is, it sounds like Pam and I are, are patting ourselves on the back really hard and we're not. We, as Alita said, we want to help. There are resources we have available and we want to help you guys. So um, take advantage of that. And I think, Pam, that leads us to our last point of, of today's podcast. Segment, yes. Alita, do you have an auto ink inspiring moment that you can share with our listeners? Absolutely. So sticking with the prostate, you know, cancer awareness theme, um, there is a patient of mine who he is a friend of mine and, um, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years back, two, three years ago now. And after he got the diagnosis, being a friend, knowing what I do for a living, he texted me and was just like, hey, you know, how is this going to relate to my pelvic floor? And so we were able to do that prehab before he had his prostate surgery. And, you know, he did have pelvic floor muscle changes, no other known risk factors, but he did have muscle overactivity, muscle not functioning, spasms, weakness, all that good stuff. And so we had a few months to correct all of that. 
And, you know, the incidence of urinary incontinence right after prostate surgery is pretty much 100%. I mean, it's, it's right on up there. He didn't have any. Wow. And oh. so all these years out, he still has not had urinary incontinence. So as soon as the catheter was removed, everything was working just fine. Now he did deal with erectile dysfunction, and that combined with other medications and medical interventions has now resolved as well. So he is kind of my poster child sure. and you know, certainly for prostate cancer awareness. And again, going back into the things that are available to help with those symptoms, you know, a good example of being able to do that prehab. And then, of course, you know, I saw him postoperatively, but... He is doing phenomenally well. So uh, kind of a case in point to urge people to get that care. Yeah. Just try it. Yeah. Yep. Well, it is. And and um, we always talk about, too, you, you don't know until you need to know. Right. You know, like, I, I didn't and know. You don't know what you don't know. I, I, <laughs> who knew that there were five pelvic floor specialists? You know, didn't know that until you, now you need to know. Mm-hmm. And And the beautiful thing is, um, if you don't know, we probably do know, or we know where to go to try to find somebody. Exactly. And so, uh, rely on us. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got questions, gosh, give us a call eight zero six three three one two four zero zero. Give us a call. Email us. Come by. Um, just ask those questions. Um, no, you guys really do deserve that pat on the back you mentioned. Like, yeah, you, you know, you really do well, deserve that to each other. We do are a lot to help help we people and help do direct it, them. We couldn't do it without people like you. Oh, so thank you. We there's no question. <laughs> yes, we have, and I've said it a hundred times. We have the most amazing people that we work with, from our instructors to folks like you, Alita, that we can send to to you know our counselors. I mean, it's just um, that these folks here, as Alita said, want they, they're just here to help you. Um, and that's, what's, that's, what's cool about it. And the the beautiful thing about it too is, is, um, we're able to do all of this at no charge. Absolutely. Which is amazing. Yeah. Alita, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media, uh, internet website? So a, a couple of different places, of course, Optimal Physical Therapy Solutions. We do have a website, www.optimalptsolutions.com. We also are on Facebook. Our Optimal Physical Therapy has a Facebook page. And and we aren't on Instagram, but two of my pelvic floor PTs um, started a podcast yeah. uh, over a year and a half ago um, called Pelvic Service Announcements, so their own little PSA. And um, they do have an Instagram page on that. And I would urge listeners who you know maybe have chalked up certain pelvic floor symptoms as normal, go listen to their podcast. So they release an episode weekly. Um, they started with Anatomy and Physiology, and they have gone on through so on prostate cancer um so that's another good resource and a great way to find me and my team yeah so is that on itunes and spotify they are on yes itunes let's see apple itunes spotify and one other maybe google, oh, google. i should know this i listen to them on spotify <laughs> but um and they're you know they're uh-huh. a link to their podcast is also on our um our facebook page as well so and we'll try to make sure and put a link in the notes. Um, I think it's important to be educated. Absolutely. And that's just one more way that you, that's what we're trying to do with our podcast. Right. Um, and that's one more way that you can be educated is take a listen, maybe learn some more because they're going to go more in depth, I would imagine, than we are here in this uh, 30, 40 minutes. But make make sure you take advantage of another resource, which is awesome, the the, the pelvic service announcement podcast that they have. That sounds like great homework for them. It does. It does. <laughs> go check it out. Go listen to it. And if you or someone you know are struggling with uh, a pelvic dysfunction, incontinence, um, 
give them a call. I mean, just reach out. Um, and if you don't know how to do that, uh, you know, we can't find them, call us here. We can help you. Absolutely. Easy peasy. Alita, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks this for joining us. Wonderful time again. Thank it's, you. It's been great. Thanks for what you do for your patients, our patients. Um, together, we're, we're making a big thank difference. You. Yeah, absolutely. Make a great team. Thank well, you. Well, that's your homework, right? Is right. to go check out the Pelvic Service Announcement Podcast. Um, maybe check out their website. And then make sure you join us here next time for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thanks again for listening to Beyond the Ribbon. We'd like to extend a special thanks to the Auto Inc. family of dealerships as they have supported the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center since 2016. For more information on the Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website at 24survivorship.org.